From the Annals of Thoracic Surgery and the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, welcome to Beyond the Abstract, part of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons Surgical Hot Topics series. I'm Tom Varghese, a thoracic surgeon and deputy editor of Digital Media and Digital Scholarship for the Annals. This is a podcast all about the why behind the articles and the issues in cardiothoracic surgery and healthcare, and what are the planned next steps from authors and thought leaders in the field. We're glad that you are here. If you enjoy our program, please rate our podcast on iTunes or wherever you downloaded this podcast. Your feedback is appreciated. Please remember, the opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the individuals and not necessarily of SDS. Hi, I'm Dr. Ara Vaporjan. I'm so excited to share news about the new STS cardiothoracic surgery ebook. It is the most complete and authoritative online resource of cardiothoracic surgical information available anywhere in the world. And it was authored and edited by the specialty's leading experts. This ebook provides a rich multimedia educational experience that includes regularly updated content in both cardiac and general thoracic surgery. So no more waiting for the textbook publishers to issue a new version every few years. We use the ebook in my training program and the residents love the high quality illustrations, photos, and surgical videos. The new ebook is available online or through a mobile app so that it's available in the office, at home, or at any point of care 24-7. To see a sample and learn more about the STS Cardiothoracic Surgery ebook, go to sts.org slash ebook. Let's begin with some statistics. Until 1970, women never made up more than 6% of any medical school class in the United States or Canada. Today, medical school enrollment is equal between men and women. The best and brightest make up the ranks in medical school. In 1980, women made up about 2% of all female surgical residents, even including obstetrics and gynecology in the United States. In 2017, 40.1% of U.S. general surgery residents were women. The best and brightest are in our surgical training programs. Yet despite all of this, here's a sobering fact. What are the top four male-dominated specialties, each having higher than 78% men in practice? Orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, interventional radiology, and cardiothoracic surgery. As Dr. Fahima Dasa and Dr. Nancy Baxter eloquently stated in a 2020 editorial, we, the surgical community, have accepted a workplace that is unequal and unaccommodating. Passively waiting for increasing numbers of women in surgery to change these conditions is a failed strategy. What do we need? Active efforts are needed to improve our pipelines into our specialty. In today's Beyond the Abstract podcast, we connect with two amazing leaders in our field, Dr. Lauren Kane, a pediatric cardiac surgeon at Children's Hospital in New Orleans and current president of the Women in Thoracic Surgery, and Dr. Leah Backus, a general thoracic surgeon at Stanford and current secretary slash treasurer of WTS. We discuss their recent manuscript, Women in Thoracic Surgery Scholarship, impact on career path and interest in cardiothoracic surgery, which in my opinion is an amazing documentation of how a pragmatic active intervention directly led to outstanding results. In 2005, the WTS began offering scholarships to promote engagement of women in CTS careers, and their study explored the impact of these scholarships on CTS career milestones. We connect with Drs. Kane and Backus to explore the why behind the project, the reflections on where we are with diversity efforts, and the goals we should seek in changing the world for the better. Join us as we go Beyond the Abstract. Hello, loyal listeners. Uh, welcome to another episode of Beyond the Abstract. 
I'm joined today by Dr. Lauren Kane, who is the current president of the Women in Thoracic Surgery, as well as Dr. Leah Backus, uh, who is was my a former partner at the University of Washington, but now she's uh, an amazing leader at, at Stanford. Uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Kane and Dr. Backus, uh, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Well, we're going to be diving into our topic of interest today, and this is really talking about the recent article that was published in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery entitled Women in Thoracic Surgery Scholarship, Impact on Career Path and Interest in Cardiothoracic Surgery. And as our loyal listeners know, the goal of this podcast is really to deep dive into the why behind the project uh, and the effort. Um, so my first question is going to be to Dr. Kane. Uh, uh, Dr. Kane, as president of the Women in Thoracic Surgery, how would you frame um, interventions or efforts such as these scholarship efforts uh, alongside with the other uh, organization interventions that you've done over the years for the Women in Thoracic Surgery? I think that this mentorship and scholarship has been kind of what is the core value that goes with the women in thoracic surgery. It is uh, one of our missions is to support and encourage women in cardiothoracic surgery, both from the pipeline of medical students and residents and even people who have already entered CT fellowship, but don't have a large number of women that they have as mentors. And so this is this is just one of the most amazing programs I think that we do with the women in thoracic surgery. But uh, Dr. Kane, I, I, it was interesting that the article started off with almost a historical aspect of what Dr. Komen did is like informal breakfast and then talked about how the women in thoracic surgery was formed. Uh, was the scholarship effort, uh, I, I know I'm, it, this might be a little bit unfair because you weren't president from the very beginning, but was the scholarship effort one of those things that was really brought up uh, to the organization's uh, viewpoint early on? Um, back in 1986, when the first breakfast uh, meeting with the handful of women got together at the STS, uh, that wasn't specifically spoken of as in a structured way, but it was part of the thought process of originally it was mentoring each other and being there for each other to share experiences. But over the years, it became uh, more and more discussed in, in finding its way to um, a actual so very organized way of doing it. So I believe back probably as early as 2000, real discussions started about how can we encourage and support more women going into the field. And one of the drivers for that was the fact that there was going to be this big meeting of a hundred women in cardiothoracic surgery at one of the anniversaries. And there weren't a hundred women at that point. And so we really started focusing on how do we recruit the best and the brightest women into our field. And at 2005 is when the initial WTS scholarship was formed and actually action item on. And meaning we actually had a application period and uh, recruited our first scholars at that time. I'm going to pivot now to Dr. Backus. Uh, Dr. Backus, uh, you were the senior author on this project. I, and I thought that it was interesting that uh, even though you uh, described it as a limitation of the study in terms of trying to find out who the comparison group would be to these amazing women leaders who, who received the scholarship, you still were able to do a robust analysis. Can you talk about 
you know, how you went about trying to formulate the study in the first place and, you know, uh, went about talking about the comparison of the percentage of trainees progressing to each stage of their career in academic uh, cardiothoracic surgery by WTS scholarship award status for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, the, the genesis of the study actually would be, would lie with um, Kia Williams uh, and a very industrious medical student who was not working with me primarily, was working with someone else in our department, Jack Boyd. And she was looking at a, a separate project where she was tracking the academic output of women in thoracic, uh, women in thoracic surgery as another offshoot from a separate study. And I said, you know, women in thoracic surgery, the organization has done a ton of work in this area and put forth a lot of resources and a lot of sweat equity into really trying to move the needle. Uh, but we didn't really have as much hard data that really chronicled our efforts. And I say chronicle deliberately so because it wasn't so scientific, if you will, but uh, we just knew anecdotally that we'd done a lot of work in this space. And the thought was, how is it that we can actually quantify the effect of that work? And if you think of the whole career pathway of someone entering into CT surgery as this long uh, trajectory, and as with most sort of diversity efforts, looking at it as a pipeline, and there's attrition along the way, we have these sort of metered stops, if you will, which are little checkpoints, waypoints, where we can actually look to see how we're doing, but we hadn't done the work to see how we were doing. And I also thought internally in talking with Dr. Kane, that it would be incredibly helpful for the organization, right? So that we could see where our money has been spent and, and where our efforts have been spent and to truly justify our continued efforts in the area. We all, we all felt in our hearts that this was good and in our discussions, but it was helpful to uh, continue to justify the, the, the resource expenditure and that sort of thing for, for the organization. And uh, Dr. Backus, do you feel now that uh, not only with the completion of this project, but in other projects that you've been involved with, that do we have we really identified a great set of metrics now to make sure we get the return on investment for scholarships? Or is that still kind of an evolution in terms of trying to figure out what the best practices are, what the ideal metrics that we should be aiming for? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is we don't have the uh, robust data to have the proper comparisons at each stage. That's part of what we struggled with with this particular study. So that's that's one limitation. Um, but we also have uh, the limitation of any scholarship effort being highly influenced by the self-selection of the people who are otherwise applying. And so because we didn't have the true comparator of those who applied but didn't receive, um, and even that's a little bit of a stretch because that's not necessarily the whole story either, right? Um, because you can have a lot of people who otherwise were still interested but didn't even apply. So I agree with you. We don't have um, nearly as much data as we'd like to have to create any sort of standardized set of, 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 of metrics to compare one program to another, even within our own organization, let alone outside. And everyone is right now, it's very timely, right? Everyone is very excited about trying to create better equity in all realms of life, right? So this is just one small sliver uh, that we all happen to work and live within. But um, the fact that we actually have critical mass and we have positive momentum where people are really enthusiastic about moving the needle, 
would really underscore the importance of trying to create some metrics that would be meaningful for these programs because everyone wants to create programs. But again, you need to actually, you know, uh, solicit and, and obtain data while you're doing it to make sure your efforts are in the right place. Well, that's it's a great perspective. What I wanted to pivot to now is I wanted to talk about acknowledging phenomenal project, love this article, but I wanted to talk about kind of more from the 30,000 foot view. And so to Dr. Kane, um, how does the organization embrace the fact that a lot of these type of efforts, such as scholarships, does require assets such as dollars to make this a reality? You know, is fundraising just kind of part and parcel of what you do as, as president of the Women in Thoracic Surgery to make these programs a reality? Or is it really the balance of it can't just be money, it's got to be factoring in other things such as faculty involvement and faculty time? Like, how do you balance all those things in your role as president of the WTS? That's a great question. Um, it almost They almost parallel each other, but I do think that first and foremost, we have to be able to fund these efforts or we won't have anything to offer. So we work closely with industry um, and asking them to help sponsor the different scholarships that we have. We also work with our members and uh, institutions to hopefully uh, encourage them to donate towards and to help support. You know, we have, we owe a lot to the STS for supporting our inaugural and continuing to be super successful scholarship of the WTS scholarship. Um, Forever, they have provided the funding uh, for that particular scholarship, and we were able to move from five or six a year to a solid 10 a year to 15 a year. So, you know, we can't thank uh, the STS and uh, the different uh, organizations that support us. Once we have the funding, once we have that commitment, then probably one of the most remarkable and rewarding things that I've seen is the willingness and the excitement of our members to be the mentors for these students. It's purely on a voluntary basis. Many of us have extremely busy schedules while we're at these meetings. So it's, it's kind of interesting you know, to find enough people and we always have plenty who want to give of their time to inspire somebody to follow in their footsteps, to take the leap, um, pat, you know, despite being discouraged on many levels from going into cardiothoracic surgery um, to do that. And so I, I feel like it's, it's both are equally important. Both we rely on the support of industry, of our uh, institutions and our members and our allies that let us do this work. Um, none of the money that goes towards us goes to us as an organization. We don't make money on doing these scholarships. It's 100% donated to, uh, to the cause, but uh, the women that volunteer to be mentors are just remarkable. And I think we, seeing that I've done it every year for the past decade or more, and I think Leah has too, it's so rewarding to us as well as to the people who we're paired with. Thank you for that, Dr. Kane. Dr. Backus, I wanted to uh, talk about one uh, particular uh, paragraph or section of the article. It was um, in the article, it was just right before um, the limitation sections. When you started talking about um, at least differentiating between mentorship and sponsorship, you know, uh, as many of us know, the mentorship is 
the visible aspect or at least the uh, the engaging with people but the sponsorship is what happens behind the scenes i in your opinion do you feel that we've evolved now enough that, or there's enough information out there that there are best practices in mentorship and sponsorship or is this another area that we still have to kind of continue to evolve and can you continue to deep dive in and, and, and develop as we go forward with these programs? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole, um, those two concepts are definitely becoming much more popular in most people's vernacular, not all. And certainly uh, we still have a long way to go, but at least they're becoming more commonly used such that people do understand the nuanced differences between the two. So I think that that's, that's a step in the right direction, definitely for many. I also think that there are good best practices when it comes to mentorship and kind of, you know, having scheduled meetings, putting the mentor first, making your mentee empowered to be a better mentee, coming better prepared to these meetings, that sort of thing. So, and that's, I think, an easier part to operationalize the mentorship piece, you know, because you you can kind of hardwire some of those processes. Sponsorship is like the secret sauce, though, you know, that's not there's no recipe for that. You know, you just tell people, hey, think of others when there are opportunities that come across your desk and how could you promote someone else that you know? How do you teach somebody to do that? And I'm not saying you can't, but I I honestly don't know the answer as to how you do, even myself. I mean, I feel like I'm constantly evolving in this space. You know, I see, you know, we all get 50,000 emails a day, right? And at least half of them are announcements that you just kind of delete immediately. You never even open the email. And I've tried to be more pointed in myself with looking at emails with that lens. Is this an email I need to forward and pass along to somebody else? And I have my assistant who has a running tally of all of the mentorship meetings, which is not minor, uh, that I do, you know, the informal ones, the formal ones, et cetera. I don't really do a whole lot with this list per se, but I kind of felt it's important to have this list as a go-to. So when I get those announcements, I can say, hey, Susan, look to see. Who are the medical students on the list who are currently still medical students because the list is getting lengthy now and send this to them? Who are the general surgery residents and send this to them and that sort of thing. That's a minor thing, but that's like a one uh, accomplishment I can tout as a recent innovation in my own uh, purview. But the point being that it's not necessarily intuitive. It does require some work. I just don't know what the answer is as to how you make it more pervasive and and ingrain that within the culture of one's institution of one's specialty organization or individual i'm not sure how you do that i think that goes towards uh probably my next question is is to both of you and uh, we'll start with dr kane i i think that one of the takeaways that i took from the article was it seems to be a no-brainer that if you give highly intelligent, motivated individuals, the opportunities to connect with other highly intelligent, motivated individuals, that that's a pathway to success. How do we broaden this, uh, you know, in the sense that it almost seems like there's two types of thing levels that we need. We need to do this best practice hardwiring in your local institution, local environment, as well as connect to like a bigger group, such as women in thoracic surgery. And so I probably want to ask both of you, but I'll start with Dr. Kane. Any thoughts about or tips about how we 
it make this a reality both at the local level as well as continue the efforts on the national level? Well, are you speaking of sponsorship or mentorship? Uh, or probably both? both. I would say probably both. I mean, even with Dr. Backus' acknowledgement of the fact that sponsorship is still a little bit more messy, but I would say sure. probably both mentorship and sponsorship. Well, one of the things that uh, one of our leaders in WTS has started this year on her own, which I think is amazing, is this idea of, uh, it's Stephanie World, Dr. Stephanie World, of speed mentoring. Okay, so she has set up a thing that we're going to do two or three, four times a year, where she recruited this time, I think about 47 mentors, female cardiothoracic surgeons, to meet with almost double that number of mentees on a virtual uh, basis with Zoom and, and breakout rooms. And so it provides eight to 10 minutes, uh, little speed mentoring sessions where these uh, mentees get to meet a, you know, maybe five or 10 different cardiothoracic women. That grows a network beyond who can go to the meeting. It grows a network beyond our local institution. And so I think that that's a good example of one way that we're trying to reach out and broaden the uh, scope and the, and the more national level as opposed to uh, simply local or who can actually go to the meetings. So I think that's great. I think uh, as far as locally, you know, anytime I'm invited to participate in something as a, a moderator, a panelist, a speaker, and I cannot make that engagement, I never say no. I always say I'm not available, but Dr. So-and-so would be amazing at this. And so that's my way of doing kind of on a more broad scale, not necessarily just locally uh, sponsoring other people. It's just one of many ways for all of us no matter what our role is, no matter uh, what level of leadership we're at, that we can do for each other. Dr. Backus, a similar question to you about local efforts versus ongoing national efforts. Yeah, I think that I'll start with the ongoing national efforts because I think that that's uh, maybe slightly easier. But one of the things that I think is helpful with the national efforts is to try to take a mirror to your organization and look to see and do that work, just count numbers. You know, we're all scientists, right? So count the numbers, get the data. What do your panels look like? What do your program committees look like? You know, if you're not able to look at your own numbers with a straight face and feel good about it, then you have to acknowledge there's, there's, there's an issue there. And hiding behind the excuse of, I just don't know anyone, isn't going to work. You know, like that's that's just like a total cop-out. And I get it, the numbers are small, right? So I'm not trying to say that, you know, there's this huge treasure trove necessarily, but it's better than you think. And basically by saying, I don't know anyone, you're kind of throwing your hands up and you had the problem and otherwise absolving yourself of any responsibility for being part of the solution. So if you do that mirror test and the numbers don't look great, which they won't because none of them are, then what are you doing to help fix the numbers? You know, I mean, so I think organizationally, and that has to happen at the, at the top levels of leadership of an organization. It can't be, you know, the proverbial women helping women, minorities helping minorities. That, yes, that is heretofore, that has been the case, right? And to some extent, you need that, right? Like, we, the women in thoracic surgery, 
are some of, not exclusively so, some of the best mentors that another female in thoracic, who could be interested in thoracic surgery could have, right? But it's not an exclusive club. You know, we're not exclusionary. So I just think that people, as in the leaders of organizations, need to do that look. You don't want to because you already know that it's not going to, you know, it's like pulling the the dressing back on some nasty food. You know, it's infected. Come on. You just... (laughs) No, I'm sure the sternum's that, totally intact that, that under there. No, it's not. Great. It's not intact. You know it isn't. You just gotta own it. Take him back. Take back. Take him back. Wash him out. <laughs> do what you gotta do, uh, and let's move on. So, I mean, I think that's that's what you gotta do organizationally. Individually, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that one, Tom. That's a tough question. I mean. We all try to lead by example. We all try to be local champions in our own little circles of influence, you know, and increasingly so, like Dr. Kane alluded to, our circles of influence are getting bigger just by virtue of social media and the immediacy with which you can reach out to someone via Zoom or, you know, all the, all the various touch points that we have, courtesy of COVID, uh, that have exploded, uh, that we didn't really we didn't maximize and harness their, their full potential with pre-COVID, you know, so we can all do more, right? Uh, even, even whoever, whoever thinks that they're the best, you know, you can always do more. Brilliant answer. <laughs> Especially that visual of the, the nasty infected wound. You just gotta, gotta <laughs> that, that's great. You just gotta wash it out. You just I gotta mean, wash it out. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, we could, I could go on forever with this topic and, and it's really great that I have two of the most amazing individuals out there joining us today. Um, I wanted to kind of pivot towards uh, final thoughts. I mean, as you look upon, you know, basket, reflect on the success that the Women in Thoracic Surgery Scholarship Program has had, the path forward. Um, any thoughts about, is it just more of the same? Uh, do we have to keep evolving? Any thoughts about the future? Uh, I'll start again with Dr. Kane, and then we'll, we'll transition to Dr. Backus. But Dr. Kane, your, your final thoughts. I think there's always more to do. I think that the this paper that uh, Dr. Backus and Kaya, you know, got me involved in, and we looked at the success of our scholarships, validates the fact that we continue that. But we also need to continue looking for more ways, different ways to engage and to support. Um, one of the initiatives that we're doing right now, you know, Dr. Backus is the one who kind of brought the idea to me and we're making it happen is creating a way for those committees and those um, leaders to who were interested in a woman with expertise but don't know them uh, to be able to look them up on our website uh, when our new website gets posted. So, you know, I think we need to keep inventing ways uh, to take down the barriers to us reaching equity in the cardiothoracic as well as in our lives in general. Dr. Backus? I think Dr. Kane said it great. <laughs> um, there, you know, there is always more work to be done. I do think that this article served as a little bit of a an energizer, you know, organizationally to say, hey, you know, we spent a ton of time and and sweat equity and building these things. And lo and behold, it does look like we're doing good work here. It's, it's, It's working by the crudest metrics that we have, 
um, to 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 be able to say that. And it is an, it is in probably an unrealistic goal, right? To think that you're going to find every interested person in CT surgery, every interested female, every interested minority, and give them funds to go and do that, right? Like that's that's not going to happen. So how is it that we can expand the effort and make it more accessible for masses as opposed to very, very, very select individuals. And so having the other means of connecting, like she mentioned, Dr. Worrell's speed dating is a really cool way of having a huge flurry of touch points with interested individuals that doesn't necessarily require all of the infrastructure and funding that the large scale interventions do. So what is it that we can do on smaller scales that can still have a meaningful impact and, and reach more people? We're working. Dr. Kane is like the James Brown of women in thoracic surgery. She's out there working hard, drumming up funds, creating new programs, doing all this work. And, uh, you know, it's this multi-pronged effort, right? Like it's not a, it's not a one size fits all. It's, it's going to take efforts and interventions on multiple fronts, but we're, we're getting there. We're moving the needle. Well, I don't know how to conclude a podcast in a better way than having Dr. Kane being compared to James Brown. I mean, that, that's a brilliant <laughs> way This is great. <laughs> I'm going to make a meme but, for that for her. Yeah, we got to make a meme for that. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Lauren, thanks for you to look forward to this in the future. So. Can't wait. Um, can't wait. Well, uh, on behalf of, of the team uh, of the Annals of Thoracic Surgery, uh, I, I can't thank you both enough. No, thank you both for everything that you do, not uh, individually, but on behalf of our society uh, and, and the organizations. Um, it's, it's important work. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously biased. I love the article and I love efforts like this to really, you know, shine that path forward uh, to a better world. But uh, thank you. On behalf of Beyond the Abstract, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's such Thanks, an honor. It's great. Join us next time as we continue to explore and debate issues beyond the abstract, part of the Surgical Hot Topic series. You can connect with the Annals of Thoracic Surgery online at annalsthoracicsurgery.org or on Twitter at Annals Thor Surge.